I don't think there's anything left to be said. So y'all want to go ahead and head home? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for what a great time of worship. And uh, he is alive. He is alive, and he's come to save you. If you hear nothing else, that's all you need to hear. I learned a lesson this past week that the best way to get you to hear my sermon is to talk about a recipe. <laughs> Those of you that weren't here, I mentioned one of my favorite desserts, and uh, it's been the talk of the town all week, and I've got text messages and pictures and tagged in social media, and uh, if you tried the peach enchiladas, I hope you liked them. If you didn't, that's fine. It just means more for me. So uh, Today's message is about reflection. It's about looking back. And I think that's appropriate since today marks my one-year anniversary as the pastor of Columbia's First Baptist Church. So praise the Lord uh, for what he has done and what he is doing. For the record, it's been the most affirming experience I've ever had in my entire life. You've been so encouraging to me. My family's blessed by you. You've brought joy to our lives, and uh, we're grateful to God uh, for what he has done and what he is doing. And I have so much joy when I think about what's happened in the last year. I've just been blown away listening to the reports as our church members have come back from mission trips all over the world, sharing what God has done through them. What a blessing to my soul. And then, of course, we've seen the Lord's blessing even in our finances. In August, this church traditionally talks about catch-up month as we've dug a deficit in the summer, but we closed the books in July, and for the first time in who knows how long, we're in the black as we head into the fall. And so thank you for your generosity. And I will also say praise God for his faithfulness. So a lot has happened, and I'm excited to think about what he's done, but I am even more excited about what is ahead. Today we wrap up a series of sermons called Summer in the Psalms, and I hope this venture through the Psalms has been refreshing, as refreshing for you as it has been for me. And so today we're going to be in Psalm 78, which carries the heading, A Masculine of Asaph. Psalm 78 is the seventh of the Asaph, the 12 Asaph Psalms. First Chronicles identifies Asaph as a one who leads in worship in the temple, um, he actually had sons who also led in worship, so it's kind of like the singing Von Trapp family. But uh, there in the temple, uh, Asaph and his uh, sons. And this psalm is called a masculine, which likely means it's more than just poetic worship. Um, there is instruction in this psalm. And it was likely written during the reign of King David or maybe just thereafter. So I want to invite you to look with me at Psalm 78, and I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 8. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, 
that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. In Psalm 78, the psalmist goes on to offer a historical recital of Israel's relationship with God since the days of slavery in Egypt up until the point of David's reign. And it's a story of God's power, how he showed up in miraculous ways to provide for them. And with it comes recurring examples of God's people straying from their commitment to the Lord over and over again. And so today's message is about not forgetting. It's about not forgetting where we've come from, what God has done, and what God has called us to do in our own generation. As the people of God, at this particular moment of history, in our specific community, we must learn from the past. We must tell the next generation about the goodness of God, and we must trust God to be faithful unto the end. So let's first look at verses 1 to 3 and be reminded that we must learn. So the psalmist opens Psalm 78 saying, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. This is not just a lecture about history. This is not, you know, gather around and listen to the good old days. That's, that's not what's happening here. This is what commentators call a didactic homily or an instructive sermon. The psalmist is offering instructions here. There will be facts from the past, but along with that, it will include insights of how to live today. So the psalmist says he's going to share a parable, or dark sayings of old is what he says in verse 2. Well, we know what a parable is because Jesus used the parable so much in his teaching in the New Testament. But his parables were fictitious stories that illustrated or gave some spiritual point. And so the psalmist says he's going to share parables of history. Well, we don't want to hear fake stories, fictitious stories about the past, so that's not what the parable means here. Because parable actually can contain more meaning beyond what we know it to mean in the New Testament. James Montgomery Boyce points out para means alongside of, and balian means to throw. And this is what he says, a parable is the placing of one incident or story alongside something else so we might learn by the comparison. So what we're going to see is that the psalmist is setting before us the past history of Israel alongside of the present so that those living today might not repeat what the people did in the past. Now this is a very long psalm and we just do not have the time. I know that you want to stay here that long, but we don't have time to go into it verse by verse. But I want to give some highlights here. As he references these sayings of old, I just kind of want to highlight what he talks about. In verses 9 through 11, the psalmist opens with an example of disobedience with the Ephraimites. They lost a battle. And he's saying that the archers, they had everything they needed to win the battle. But they turned back and they lost. Well, why did that happen? Verse 10 and 11 says, They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. They forgot his deeds and his miracles that he had shown them. So they rebel. They forget about God. And what happens? They suffer consequences. 
And then he describes the disobedience of the Israelites as they're wandering in the wilderness in verses 12 to 41. So first of all, God performs miracles. He shows up in an incredible way. He provides for them. He leads them in dramatic fashion. And then verse 17, it says, Yet they still continued to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. Even still, God provides for them. He sends manna from above so they can eat. He starts to adjust the wind because they won't meet. And he sends birds among them so that they can eat meat. But the anger against them for the way that they rebelled starts to burn. It's, it's described as kindled against, his anger is kindled against Israel. And so he sends judgment. He strikes some of them down. And this is what happens. Verse 34 and 35 says, when he killed them, then they sought him. And returned and searched diligently for God, and they remembered that God was their rock and the Most High God, their Redeemer. So they returned to the Lord, but just for a moment, because they were not committed to the covenant that God had made with his people. So they rebelled. Even though they had seen him work, he had provided for them, he answered their prayers, he showed up when they need him, they still rebel. And in verses 42 through 53, they describe how God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt in dramatic fashion. You remember the plagues. You remember how God showed up in that moment. And all along, these unfaithful people, God protects. Verse 52 and 53. But he led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them safely so that they did not fear, but the sea engulfed their enemies. You remember that moment at the Red Sea. And then in verses 54 to 64, we read how God brought Israel into Canaan. He provided the promised land. He routed their enemies so that they could enter the land. And how did they respond to him in that moment? Verse 56 and 57. Yet they tempted and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned back and acted treacherously like their fathers. They turned aside like a treacherous bow. So once again, God brings judgment on Israel. It's so obvious that the psalmist is illustrating this pattern. It's like a roller coaster ride. High highs and very low lows. They honor God, so God blesses, he provides, they rebel, he judges. They're convicted, they return to God, and it just goes over and over again. They have very short memories. The people of Israel forgot what the Lord had done. The Lord had performed great things in front of their presence, yet Israel failed to remember them. And there's no excuse for their forgetfulness. But it leads to disobedience. So this is the history of Israel. But how prone are you and I to wander even still today? There are plenty of times where I find myself in praise to God for what he's done how he delivered me from some situation, and in the next moment, I'm entertaining that same thought that took me down the wrong path before. And I'm thinking, how can I do that so quickly? In order to be faithful, we have to learn from the past. You know, sometimes when we study the Old Testament, um, I think we, we read it, we say, well, what does this mean for us today? I mean, that's fascinating to read about Israel. I'm sure there are some people that are interested in that. But what about for me? What am I to learn from this? What Paul writes in Romans 15, verse 4, 
For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this psalm is here for us. So what I hope you learn as we spend time in the psalms is that Every word in the scripture, no matter how long ago it was penned, is written for our benefit. It's written for us. The text served the needs of the people of the time. This particular psalm was, it was if you can imagine, this was a song. This was a song that would have been sung in worship in the temple. And it reminded the people of all the great things God done and how terrible the people of God are. How quickly they could rebel and how quickly they could turn away from him. The text served its need in that moment. And this same psalm is still relevant in the 21st century today. In fact, Robert Mount says, Scripture is relevant because it speaks to our deepest need. You know, you can roll your eyes at the quick rebellion of the Israelites, but can you see yourself in the text? Do you see yourself right there? God's faithful, but how often have you been faithless? We still sing today, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I think it still stands true in our own life as we sing it today. So I can know all of the right answers, but I can still make the wrong decision. How does that happen? Well, the application, I think, has to be for us this morning that we are to be faithful in our own generation. We cannot go back. We cannot repair the breach of what's happened in the past. But we can live faithfully in our own day. So Psalm 78 says, how often they rebelled against him. Again and again, they tempted God and praised the Holy One. They did not remember His power. That's what it says throughout this chapter. Well, I want to say, may it not be said of us, but the truth is I know it will, because we are so sinful. And so I know we will wander. We see the power of God in, in, on display, and we still rebel. We pain the Holy One. We forget Him. But God's grace is even greater. So the real application is this, to know the God who you worship. He is a God who is faithful even when you're faithless. He shows up to provide when we fail to do what he asks us to do. He makes a way in the desert. He routes the enemies. He fords the waters um, to provide dry land to walk upon. And so doesn't that make you, when you hear that about God, doesn't that make you say, I want to be even more faithful when temptation comes? Do you not want to commit even more to be on the defense so when those fiery darts come at your heart that you are faithful to God and say, I'm not going to because of what God has done for me? Do you not want to be on the offense against the gates of hell that want nothing more than for you to be living in your own power, helpless, on your face, bringing shame to the Lord. But we say, no, I'm going to storm the gates of hell. I'm not going to live like that. So, lest we forget, the psalmist reminds us, we ought to remind one another of this regularly. God is faithful. He will do what he says he will do. So we must learn from the past. But another principle we find in Psalm 78 is to tell the next generation about the goodness of God. So look, at, uh, look with me at verse 4. It says, We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. You know, some people like to cover up their failures. They like to act like they were better than they really were. 
But have you noticed that the scriptures put on full display how the people who were followers of God really were? They messed up. And it tells us. We read about it. It doesn't bring glory to them. It brings glory to God. So rather than act like they had done everything right, the Israelites say, we will tell our children we messed up. No fake news here. This is the unadulterated version of how we were powerless to accomplish what God has done. And we will say we have failed, but God miraculously has performed his wondrous works faithfully for us. And then verse 5 says this is not just an option. In fact, it says, God commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. So we must tell. And what happens is this great spiritual relay where one generation is running the race in their day, carrying the baton and passing it along, and it gets passed down over and over again. That's what's illustrated here. This is shown throughout Scripture. In Deuteronomy 6, the Hebrews have the Shema. And part of the instruction there is we will diligently teach this to our children. Not as time provides itself or when it's convenient, we will diligently teach and then in 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to find faithful men that he can entrust to them what he's learned so that they can entrust it to others. We will not keep it for ourselves, we will pass it on. That is the nature of the message we have as believers in Jesus. We have received a message of hope and the expectation is we pass it along. And then we instruct those to also learn to pass it along. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's not what pastors do or evangelists do or missionaries do. That's what believers in Jesus do. Every believer passes it on. It's basic to being a child of God. In verse 7, we essentially get the purpose for this recital of the history of Israel and God's miraculous works in positive terms. In verse 8, he says, don't be like your fathers. But in verse 7, he offers a threefold cord of faith. He says, number one, that they should put their confidence in God. Number two, and not forget the works of God. And finally, number three, but keep his commandments. When we consider what God has done, it boosts our confidence about God. You mean to tell me that God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace? Then I know he can show up for me. You mean to tell me when the Hebrew children were on the banks of that Red Sea with water in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them, God came and split the sea so they could walk on dry land? Then I can trust God to show up for me. It also helps me not to forget God's works. I don't know about you, but I'm distracted by what I can see and I fail to see by faith. And I only see what's in front of me. I forget God's works. And finally, I find myself more zealous because of this for the things of God and to remain faithful to his commands. So the bottom line is this. As believers in God, we have a responsibility to instruct our children about God and to be a faithful witness in our own generation. Let me see if I can illustrate this to you in a way that might be applicable for those of us who are here at First Baptist Church or joining us online or by television. I want you to imagine in this psalm that it kind of illustrates three chairs. And the chair in the middle is your chair. It's my chair. It's where I sit. When I was a college student at Carolina, there was a chair for me in this church. I think I was sitting right back there 
in the middle of that back section as I came as a college student. And I look to what God has done. As I reflect back, I think, wow, I'm so glad there was a chair for me at First Baptist Church of Columbia. So for some of you in this room today, it was somewhere here on this campus where you first heard the gospel. And you first responded to Jesus. Some of you can remember sitting here in this room or maybe in front of the television or online when you needed that encouragement, you needed that direction, and God provided that through the ministry of this church. So we have this middle chair. It represents us. It represents our experiences. And then this chair to the right reminds us that there was somebody here before us. In fact, it actually represents that someone brought us or somebody invited us, or somebody made room for us. When I think of my, first, uh, my personal spiritual walk, it was my parents. My parents first brought me to church. They invited me. There was no option. I went, right? That's what happened. Some of you may have had the same exact experience. The first person to invite you to church were your parents, and you went willingly or not willingly. Some of you, it was later in life. Maybe you were a teenager and a friend invited you to church. Or maybe you were in college and somebody invited you. Or maybe as an adult, a neighbor or a co-worker, a family member, somebody said, why don't you come to church? Because there was somebody along the way who invited you and then it's there that you met God. Whatever your story is, none of us came to our God by ourselves. That was, there was somebody or there were somebodies. And their experience is that there was somebody or somebodies who introduced them to the Lord. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus called 12 to come follow him, and then he sent them out to go tell. And every generation since then, they've been running a race and passing the baton. And it's been carried from one generation to the next generation until right now when we received it. And guess what? Some faced great opposition to do so. Some faced death, but it was worth it. And there's a third chair to remind us of this verse. That we are to tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. I love that I pastor a church with a more than 200 year legacy that reminds me generation after generation this congregation has passed along the gospel in this community here in the capital city. To share there is a God who loves you and he made a way for you through Jesus. So that you've got sin just like I've got sin, but Jesus died the death you deserve so you could be forgiven of those sins and you could have eternal life. For more than 200 years, this church has been doing this right here on the same block. And we're committed even more to making sure in our own generation that the gospel is shared with those in our community and around the world. That's what it's about, folks. That's why we exist, to love God, to love others, and to make disciples who love God and love others. So as we head into the fall and we choose the chapter of, uh, excuse me, close the chapter of my first year here as pastor, I want to ask you to respond in four specific ways to this message, okay? Four specific ways you can respond to Psalm 78. The first is this, be inviting. Be inviting. There's an empty chair. It's to remind you we are not here to revel in what we have and keep it for ourselves. As followers of Jesus, we are compelled to pass it on to invite others, to go and to tell, to invite them into a loving relationship with Jesus, to invite them into a church where they can worship and they can grow. Let me ask you a question, and you can respond to this. 
by raising your hand. How, how many of you in this room, or maybe online or on television joining us, how many of you can think of somebody right now? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe somebody in the next generation. Maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, classmate. How many of you can think of somebody that you're concerned about their spiritual well-being? Is there anybody in the room that can think of somebody where you're concerned about their spiritual well-being? Is there anybody? Well, let me tell you, do not forget about them. As we head into the week, do not forget about them. And God does something incredible when the people of God think about those who are not here. Think about those and pray about those who they might have opportunity to know Jesus. Second, so be inviting. The second thing is to be connecting. People come to church for any number of reasons, but they stay because of relationships. They might come and enjoy a message they heard preached. They might be blessed by participating in worship, but they stay because of a relationship they have with other people. That's why Sunday school and small groups are so important, because it's there you can grow together. You can get to know one another. And so I want you to go out of your way to make sure that you are, that you are a connecting member of this church. If there's somebody around you that's not connected, it's your responsibility to help them get connected. And if you're here and you've never done that, you've never stepped into relationship in this church, I want to invite you to do so. As we head into the fall, that's just so critical that you do that. Third thing is this, be generous. If this is your church and you know Jesus, then when you make a commitment to support the church financially. Now you know I'm not coming to you begging because the Lord has blessed this church. But if you call this place home, I want to remind you we're able to offer the ministries and the outreach that we do because God's people give to that cause. We are able to have a dynamic student ministry because God's people give. We're able to minister to college students who come to town from all over because God's people give here. It helps us to be able to reach internationals living in our community, to help provide for them congregations where they can worship with those who come from the same culture or speak the same language. So it helps us to do that. Not only that, it goes beyond our walls. It benefits our television ministry so that we can reach the tens of thousands who worship with us every Sunday when you give. We also support mission endeavors. You've seen those who've gone on mission this summer. When you give, that happens. Not only that, this uh, past summer, we were able to send $15,000 to the Encounter Church in Dedham, Massachusetts, where Chris Causey pastors. They had a real need. They're trying to, they were remodeling the facility, and they really need to get that debt taken care of. And guess what? We had it on hand. And I said, let's do it. Because God's people gave. Finally, I want to ask you to be serving. I believe that every follower of Jesus who calls First Baptist Church home should find a place to serve. Now we're headed into fall, so there's incredible opportunities for you. By participating in those that greet and welcome, by helping out in our children's ministry so that parents can worship up here and their children can be cared for downstairs, by serving in Awana, by mentoring some of our college students. You know, one incredible opportunity is we have all these international students who come to Columbia every year. And we want Christians, Christian families who will say, you know what? I can open my home or my life once a month or maybe a couple times a semester and invite them to lunch or have them over at my home. It's an incredible way you can serve in our church. And you can reach out to the college ministry if you want to do that. Perhaps you could serve by helping in other ministries or whatever it might be. 
So be inviting, be connecting, be generous, and be serving. So as the people of God, this particular moment of history in our specific communities, we must learn from the past. We must be faithful to tell the next generation about the goodness of God. And the final part, I'll wrap real quickly here, is to remind us of the faithfulness of God. And we are instructed to trust him. Verse 64 tells us of the downfall of Israel as part of God's judgment. But then the psalmist recounts how God kept his covenant promise. Verse 65, I love this verse. It says, then the Lord awoke as if from sleep. Like a warrior overcome by one, he drove his adversaries backward. He put on them an everlasting reproach. We know that God had allowed the nations to judge Israel. Then in his last few verses, this psalmist says, but God kept his promise. He established a throne. He put David on it. And we can trust that just as God did not forget Israel, God has not forgotten you. We are assured that Jesus will return. And I believe we're inching much closer to that in our own day. So the psalmist's point in these last few verses is that they didn't deserve that throne. They didn't deserve David. But God was gracious and provided for him. Well, we deserve nothing as believers in Jesus. We have received, though, everything. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's equipped you for every good work. So as we reflect on where we fit as part of God's grand history, we must remember and not forget. We must tell and not remain silent. And we must trust and not rebel. Will we at First Baptist Church be a part of a movement to tell the children, the grandchildren, and friends we love about him? Will you step up and do that? That's the message of Psalm 78. Father, we thank you so much for this time to consider your word. Father, it's just words on a page unless you, Holy Spirit, would apply it. So we just open ourselves to you right now. God, what would it be? What would you have for us to live for you? We also pray for those that don't know you, that today have heard about the grace of Christ, that he is alive. I pray that this morning they would respond to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God is speaking to you. We have a time of invitation. I'll be right down front with some staff members. Maybe you want to join the church. Maybe you want to make a commitment to Christ. As the choir sings, you respond. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we respond to the Lord.
finish line where it ends where it lands guess i lost my vision when the pain set in can i believe when i don't see can i really let it be out of my hands when it's out of my hands this is a word i choose but it's where i'm finding you but i'm broken and undone your mercy's just begun you But I know where you have been Before me, after, and always within I cannot believe when I don't see Can I really let it be out of my hands? Cause it's out of my hands They, they had an incredible week this week in Worship Arts Camp, the largest we've ever had, about 225 children here and 60-something workers, so close to 300 people. Uh, I want to thank Mr. Keith back here for all of his hard work with it. And all, all of our workers, if you worked in uh, Worship Arts Camp, why don't you stand just real quick. I'd like to say thanks. A bunch of them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, one more time, let me just underscore this before we go. Tailgate Sunday, September the 8th. You know the bullet points there that we gave to you earlier. Well, everybody present, if you're not in a Sunday school class, get you a Sunday school class. Try it out, especially on that day. We're going to have a great menu. The tickets will start this week. We're going to have roast beef, fried chicken, 
macaroni and cheese. It'll be a great tailgate menu. The tickets will be $5. And the big thing that everybody wants to know is we will eat where? Indoors. That is correct. So that uh, we want to have a great day on tailgate Sunday. And boys and girls, I do know, uh, because I spoke with him, that Akaki is going to be here in Sunday school for the, uh, for the boys and girls uh, to, to say hey to you that morning at, at some point. So, uh, and we'll try to, you know, I know, we'll see if we can get the tiger to come to or something. So we'll, we'll have equal time. Well, I was going to call attention to um, Pastor West's first anniversary, but he, he jumped the gun on me a little bit. But here's what we're going to do to close the service. Pastor West, I want you to come right down here. And deacons, I want you to come just gather around him. And we're going to pray for him as we close this service and thank God for his first anniversary here at First Baptist Church as pastor. He's been around here a long time, but the first one is pastor. Why don't we all stand, please? Father, we